man, thanks for part of your day. I know you're a busy man, but I've, I have wanted to have this conversation for so long um, just because I believe your story has influence, impact, and relevance in helping young men solve a particular problem that, that they have these days. And that is, that is language. That is, that is the, the word that I have found resonates the most with people. And you, sir, are the complete opposite of language. So I think that's why I think your story is so valuable. For, so thanks for having a conversation about that. Hey, you, you hype me up so much, man. I, I appreciate it. But, you know, I'm just I'm happy to be here as well. Awesome. Well, man, this is an easy conversation. This is your story. So I would love for you to just spend maybe three to five minutes giving kind of an overview of where Robert Barker came from, maybe some some milestone moments in, in your story, and then what is it that you're doing today? Well, um, I think the best place to start is I, I was kind of... Uh, you know, in, in high school, I was always thinking, you know, I'm going to be a professional athlete. Like I was a ball player. I loved baseball my whole life. And, um, you know, I played it since I was five years old. And then uh, going into my senior year, uh, I actually got in a pretty bad car accident. And the car accident was, um, you know, uh, something that unfortunately took me out of the sport. Uh, you know, I won't go into the details of what happened to my body, but um, I was never able to play again. And naturally that was that was really traumatic at the time. Um, there was a lot, like I was planning on playing baseball in college. I didn't really have another plan. Uh, and it was, it, it took me a while to, you know, kind of come back to just being normal, let alone trying to figure out anything past that. And then I, you know, pretty soon figured out, like if I was going to do anything and, and get to college at all, I was going to need money. I was going to need a job. I was going to have to figure things out. So really quickly I was, you know, I tried to find a way to, um, you know, get work. And I, I ended up working at a CVS and about three weeks into that, I was like, I hate this. This is terrible. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they had a pharmacy in the back and I was like, everybody in the back there gets to wear like white coats and stuff. Like that's pretty cool. Let's see what's going on back there. So I went back there and I ended up talking to the, uh, the head pharmacist. Um, and she told me kind of what their job was and what the, you know, not the pharmacist, but like the text did and things like that. And I just asked her, I was like, you know, would, would you hire me back here? Like, can I work back here with you guys? And she's like, well, you need a tech license. You need some other thing. And I was like, okay, well, how do I get that? And she just said, <laughs> she just said, okay, here you go. You know, like, I think we have some, some study books. You can sign up for the class or you can try to take the test if you want to. I was like, man, I ain't signing up for no class and paying 10 grand and trying to do that. And I, so I was like, give me these books. Let me see what I can do. And so I went through about three weeks of just hardcore, like while I was in college, I was studying this in my free time and, or actually, sorry, while I was in high school, this is, this is my senior year of high school. And, um, I was studying this pharmacy tech book front and back and just kind of went, okay, I'm going to figure it, I'm going to take the test, you know, see what happens. Ended up passing, got my tech license, um, came back to her like the next month and said, I got this now. Can I, can I come back? <laughs> she, yeah, it, it was a pretty, it was a pretty fun, uh, fun interaction, but you know, that kind of set me on my path. I, I developed a, a pretty strong love for pharmaceuticals and just kind of the, the science behind everything, how everything works. Um, and when I eventually got to college, it, it made me pursue science and, you know, I'll, I'll kind of skip, skip around here a little bit, but you know, my, my beginning phase of college was, 
you know, I ended up talking to this person who I thought was a, uh, an academic advisor. It turns out he was like the assistant dean of the science department, signed me up for just all science classes. Like I took chem, bio, calc, and physics my first semester in college, <laughs> and, but just thought it was normal. I was like, I'm in college. It's what people do. Like, fine, you know, whatever. And uh, <laughs> ended up going through with him, going through with that um, kind of after about two years of doing like those related classes, I went back to him and I said, Hey, you know, I'm end of my sophomore year. I got to pick a Like I was still undeclared at the time. And I was like, I got to pick a major. Like, what do you think I should do? He's like, well, you're pretty much uh, in line for chem or biochem. And I was like, anything else? And he's like, Nope, that's pretty much it. Unless you want to be here for five, six years. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess that's what I'm doing. And so, uh, you know, I ended up uh, electing to go through with my biochem major, did all the that fun stuff. But going through it, I was like, you know, I, uh, I wanted to be a pharmacist. And after working at CVS Pharmacy and then um, another pharmacy, uh, a hospital pharmacy for, you know, the better part of five years throughout my college career, I was like, I hate being in one spot, man. I was like, I need to talk to people. I need to be out there. I need to you know, just connect with other people. But I, I still had a love for pharmaceuticals, but I knew I didn't want to be a pharmacist really, really quick. I knew I didn't, I also knew I didn't want to do research. I was like, if you put me in a lab with no one around me for 12 hours a day, exactly, exactly that. Um, so I, I just tried to start thinking like, man, what can I, cause the colleges do a real disservice for a lot of science majors is they kind of put you on this path. Like, here's all you can do. You can do research or you can go to med school or pharmacy school, you know, all the encompassing of that. Um, but that's it. You get no other choice. You're either going to teach or be a doctor, a pharmacist, a dentist, whatever. And I was like, none of that sounds like my path. I don't, I don't resonate with any of that. Um, and so <laughs> come up, coming up to my senior year, I was kind of getting that little bit of panic. Like, um, I really don't want to do what I'm doing right now after school. Cause then why go to school? And then, I don't want to be out of school trying to find, you know, like, do, like, I want to, I want a purpose. I want a path and um, ended up, you know, just uh, meeting some people through the gym. I was actually helping train this girl who, you know, was, was a beast in the gym and my girlfriend and I, uh, you know, kind of helped her out, but I was, she, she was asking me like, when you're going to graduate, what are you going to do? And I told her, you know, I have no clue. I have absolutely no clue. I was like, I know I like pharmaceuticals. I'm a, you know, I've, science background, but other than that, I don't know. And she said, you know, my mom uh, works for Pfizer. You know, she does like pharmaceutical sales. And I was like, I wonder what that's about. Like, let me, you know, I was like, would you mind if I talk to her and, and um, you know, kind of get a look. And before she eventually reached out to me, I was like researching the world of pharmaceutical sales and kind of researched Pfizer and research other large pharmaceutical companies. And I was like, you know, this, this sounds like a great career like this sounds like something that you know really kind of encompasses the two worlds i'm looking for like the people world like interacting with people constantly and then the science world like having that science background and being able to have those kind of clinical conversations with doctors all day perfect and so i went into that like a job interview i'll tell you what like it was just supposed to be like an introductory like hey you know what does your job do but i went in like trying to sell myself. I was like, I am hungry. I'm eager. I, I will learn anything as fast as you want me to. It doesn't matter. I'll put in the hours. I don't care what it takes. And after meeting with me, she's like, you know, I think we are hiring in two different spots. I actually know both the hiring managers. Let me talk to them. And out of nowhere, I get an email from what would be my future boss, like saying, Hey, you know, we, we, uh, I, I heard you met with, you know, this person, like, would you, 
you know, kind of be interested in doing an interview. And she's like, just go on Pfizer's apply. And then we can, you know, kind of set something up. And I was like, Oh my God, like this is, this is happening quick. And I kind of skipped over a little bit because there was a lot of, a lot of rejection that came before this. And, you know, I kind of, I kind of skipped that because one of the things that like really drove me is after I kind of figured out, okay, like pharmaceutical sales might be something I want to do. I, I created a LinkedIn and I was just trying to create it informationally. Like I was trying to reach out to people, talk to them about the job, learn about it. And I must've sent out a thousand messages easily to different recruiters, farm reps, all this kind of stuff. And I might have probably, I probably got a 10% response rate from all of them. So I probably have like, even in my LinkedIn now, I probably have 1100 unread messages, but 200 people replied to me and just told me how I can't do it. They just told me, Hey, you're out of college. You have no experience. You have nothing. You have no sales experience. You're going to be terrible. And, you know, just like took their time to say that to me. And I was like, okay. And, and my type of personality, man, I, I feed off that. I'm like, yeah, that's it. You know, like that, that gets me, you know, that gets me to my next level. And, uh, but so anyway, I ended up inter interviewing with my boss and we went through the interview process and, you know, I got super, super lucky, super fortunate that she, uh, that, that I was able to fool her, you know, and, uh, <laughs> she, uh, she ended up offering me two different positions. I ended up taking a spot in Monterey, um, which I love, I love that position. I ended up, you know, uh, winning an award there and then, um, coming here, uh, to Fresno as a promotion role. I got that in uh, June, 2019. So about a year and a half into the position, um, I was promoted to a senior level position and, um, have been here since then. And, you know, I've had a, a top finish, uh, in my first full year here and, um, you know, 2021 is looking good. So it's been, it's been an incredible journey. And, you know, I would just encourage anybody that's kind of in that position where they're, you know, finishing up school or just kind of looking for their purpose, like just dive into something and don't look back. Wow. Well, I, I know the life uh, uh, of, of you, Robbie, cannot be summed up in five or 10 minutes. So I apologize for, for putting you in there because there's a <laughs> lot of stuff from your background that I, I think speaks to the character of the man that has allowed you to overcome adversity. And I, I heard adversity several times in your commentary. So I'd like to stick with that word if we could for just a minute. I want to go all the way back to, to the accident that derailed you from the path that that you assumed you would be on through sports and 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 I don't want to say physical fitness, that's not it, but but your 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 sports career was pre-planned in your head and now it's been derailed. Probably one of the major um, adversities that a young man has to face and deal with at a point in time where the brain is not fully developed from a prefrontal cortex perspective to be able to handle that well. So can you, can you shape for me the environment first that you think set you up for success and being able to, to push through that adversity? And then maybe environmentally, I mean, people or, or things that happened or places you put yourself in order to, to not be a victim to that. And then secondarily, how did you become self-aware enough to not be a victim to that circumstance and to do something different? Maybe that span of time it took to do that. You know, um, 
looking back on that on that time, the uh, the, the few emotions that I can really really remember um, at first were depression, and unfortunately, you know, within that within that year um, of the accident. Um, and getting into, you know, like kind of trying to get things back together. My grandfather passed away and anybody that knows me knows how close I am to my family. Like my family is, is everything to me. And he was, he was my best friend on the planet. And so a a lot of that kind of coupled together and it it created this, like almost like this chasm of a a depression cycle that I lived in for that period of time. Um, But eventually I think, you know, after his death, um, it kind of dawned on me, like, my family is going to, is going to be here for me, but I also need to be there for them. And the best way you can be there for your family is to push yourself to be successful, whether that's personally, professionally, anything, the best, the best thing you can give to those around you is by being a great example of, of, you know, yourself. And I thought, you know, I, I just always thought while I was in that state, like, you know, if, if my grandfather was there, what he would say to me. And that was definitely, you know, the, the more I could listen to that voice, the more I hopped out of it. And, you know, you, you talked about the environment that kind of brought me out of it when I was in college and, and kind of, I wouldn't say fully healed, but healed enough to start um, trying to get back into some form of athletics. Obviously, baseball was long gone. My dexterity for that sport was, was gone. Um, but there was one type of physical activity that I really latched onto. And that was, you know, uh, physical exercise, being in a gym. And one of the things that I really, you know, focused on while I was there was something I don't think a lot of people focus on early on in the gym, and it was building my mental strength. And I think people really underrate how much the gym can affect your mentality. Um, And especially if you let it, if you let it really kind of take shape, and if you become like I, I, I have a saying, you know, it, it, uh, my friend and I say it to each other all the time is I can tell how you do everything by the way you do anything. If you are lazy in the gym, I bet that's not the only place you're lazy. If you're a, a hard worker at work, I bet you work hard on yourself outside of your job. Um, and there's, there's a lot of things that are great identifiers for who people are, but what you do in your free time, if you try to better yourself in your free time, that tells me a lot about you. And I think the gym really adopted this mindset of pushing myself, not only physically, but mentally. It takes, it takes a, a, a lot of courage for someone to do, you know, do things that are intimidating, whether that's weightlifting or if it's in a professional environment, if it's in like a sales environment, going to a place that you've never been before, talking to a person you've never talked to before. All those things take a lot of, uh, of mental fortitude. But I think the gym environment really, for me, solidified not only, you know, and obviously, you know me, you know, kind of where I took that, um, but it really solidified for me personally how I would hold myself accountable. And I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, it, it turned me into a it completely different person um, because it, it allowed me to get out of who I was becoming because of tragedy and then taking that and, 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 and developing this new mindset and getting out of the, oh, this thing, these things happen to me, you know, you know, kind of like, a, I don't want to say a woe is me mentality, but, you know, of that essence to how am I going to improve? And just regardless of what it is, if it's mentally, if it's physically, if it's educationally, if it's professionally, how do I keep improving? And I've taken that mentality into work and, you know, when I was in school, into the gym, it's like, I mean, it doesn't matter 
like I said, you know me very well. So whatever I do is, you know, I, I, I don't do it to be average at it. I do it to be the best at it. And the gym really, really cultivated that mindset. Incredible. So I want to sit in that gym metaphor for just a second. And I, I, I want I want your help. I want your creativity right here. So if you had to pick three to five laws of the gym that are transferable over into what you are doing right now and the success that you have had in, in your most recent professional ventures, what would those laws be? And, and I'm just going to throw one out there to give you context. So I know that you showed up at the gym more often than you did not show up. So the law of consistency clearly created success for you that, you know, we, we haven't talked about those things, but from the, the physical perspective, you've had some great success in, in another industry as well. How does, how does that then, the law of consistent consistency translate over into the professional world? So I'm looking for three to five of those laws of the gym that are transferable to what you're doing now. And let's, let's pull those out a little bit. Well, I think the law of consistency, just to, just to throw it out there is, is a great one is a great one to start as kind of a jumping off point is because if you're consistent with things, like there is a saying that practice makes perfect. And you know, that, that is true to a point, but it's perfect practice makes perfect, right? Understanding how to do something the correct way and then consistently doing it will make you better at it. So whether it's, the gym, education, your job, your study habits, if you find out the right way to do it efficiently and you practice that efficient process, you will improve. Um, one of the things that I really think, is, it, it might not be so much a law, but um, almost a gym cliche, it's like failure being a mindset. Um, really early on, the gym taught me I will fail constantly. <laughs> and, you know, being, I was probably back then when I started, um, you know, right after, right after all that, I, I kind of came out of all that. I was maybe 125, 130 pounds and, um, you know, kind of going into an environment where there's like, it's a jungle, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's apex predators in there and they, they're looking, and, you know, and it's, it's an environment that can be really intimidating and it can be scary because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to be embarrassed. You don't want to, um, you don't want to fail in front of like, and, and it sounds kind of odd, but you don't want to fail in front of a lot of people that are just standing there looking at you, even though they're strangers. And I think one of the things is being able to accept failure as a learning experience rather than a permanent fact is one of the things that the gym really taught me. If you accept failure as a fact, you will fail. But if you accept failure as a learning experience, you will get better. And that's one of the first, I mean, the biggest things I learned from that. And it's, it's something I take into my, to my job now a lot because more, and, and you know, in the world of pharmaceutical sales, you fail more than you succeed. That's just the reality of it. But you're, you know, 99 failures, if it leads to one success, it's worth it. Because the only thing that matters is that one success. Um, and you really understand that well after having that kind of gym mentality. I think another one, you know, and again, it's going to be a cliche, but the never give up aspect because it won't happen quick. It won't have, you know, it won't be given to you. Um, it's earned. And it's, it's, it's the same thing as, as your work, as your education, as anything is that you will not be given it. And I always, I always, when I tell people, when I talk about things like, you know, you don't think of uh, like goals, like something someone gives to you, right? Like, I don't think about maybe a, a sales goal is something someone gives to me. It's like, they have something that's mine and I'm going to take it and I'm going to figure out how to take it. 
you know, it's the same mentality with the education, right? I had my biochem degree and I'll tell you right now, I'll look back on some of that stuff. I, I mean, it's a foreign language to me at this point, um, but, but, you know, I was never, you know, especially back then, I was never the smartest person in the room, but you would not find somebody that would work harder at me at it. And I think one of the things I always tried to keep in mind was, you know, that, that degree, I always made it a tangible thing, like that piece of paper, you know, the thing that says Robert Barker, biochemist, BS. I always thought like, that's something someone is keeping from me and I'm going to take it back because it's mine. And that's, that's a mentality that Jim really taught me is that like all of these progresses, whether it's a, you know, it can be as simple as a bench press number. It can be as simple as a, you know, a, a new squat record or anything like that. It's, it, it's this, this weight is achievable. Something is holding me back and I'm not going to let it anymore. Whether it's time, whether it's persistence, whether, whether it's just pure mental grit, those things come from something as simple as just move, trying to move up 10 pounds on your bench press. Because when I, I'll tell you right now, the same mentality I have for the sales I make that, you know, kind of, uh, you know, help me ascend the ranks is the same mentality I take into the gym right after work. Incredible. So I pulled out four. So uh, these are brilliant consistency, the law of failure, the law of the relentless pursuit. I don't know that that just came out uh, while you were right. talking. Yeah, that was yeah. And then the, the law of vision, um, uh, you create in your mind that which you want to take ownership of, and then you, you, you uh, deconstruct that into an actionable plan of achievement after that. But you have the vision first. You know exactly what you're going for. You define it. You breathe it. You live it. You deconstruct it. You take massive action. So that's probably the fifth one that I hear is the law of massive action. So, Robert, those were that, that's exactly what I wanted to hear, because I think those are translatable. And I, I think the gym is an easy metaphor for, for people to understand. A lot of a lot of people try in the gym and they fail and then they stop. And that leads to well, I don't think I, I don't think it's I, I don't think it, it even maybe they stop. It's that they accept the failure is then they they come back and they set their bar lower. And that's that's the big that's the big problem with anything is that they think, OK, you know, take it, take a sales perspective. You know, my, my vision is always number one, that that's always what it's going to be. And I think like, that's my spot. I'm going to take it. And when I don't get there, because I haven't finished number one every year, that's, you know, and I, I accept that, but I don't lower the bar. I don't say, okay, well, maybe number one was, you know, maybe I got lucky. Maybe number 15 is my goal or 20 or 30 or 40 or whatever it is. Like, I just want to be in the top half that's, that's a mentality I see a lot of people bring, you know, into work, school, the gym, like they go, okay, like they set their, like they have the vision of the goal at first, right? They have like the gym vision, like I'm going to be the strongest person in here, I'm going to be the, you know, most motivated person, whatever their goal is. And then they realize that I'm going to, I'm going to fail a lot getting there. And there's two paths, right? You either accept the failure, and you set your bar lower, so that you can succeed or you learn from the failure and how to conquer it. So you can attain your, so you can attain your vision. And those are really the two things that separate everybody. Brilliant. So Robert, you, you have come a long way, my friend, you have, you have come from, from a, a, a depressed, uncertain 
teenager not knowing what the future holds to now uh, a working professional who is dominating his market. You've, you've also in that process become a leader of people. And that's a, that's another different environment that you've put yourself in that, that I would say is a, is a really challenging one because it's no longer about you and your achievements. It's about the people who you serve. So how have you grown as a leader of people and what do you find are the biggest struggles you run into in helping transform a team? I think the biggest thing, you know, um, early on when, when you're taking, like, I'll just take my leadership role, for example, right? Like my, my goal was, you know, I've, I've proven myself as an individual and I want to prove myself having more responsibility, give me, you know, uh, whether it's people to coach or, you know, a, a team to be a part of, like, let me, let me contribute. And I think one of the first things that you have to accept really quickly is that you don't know everything. <laughs> um, and when you become a part of a team, whether you're the senior person on that team or the, you know, the newest person on that team, coachability is the most important thing in both directions, the ability to be coached and the ability to coach, because you're going to find that like, I'll, I'll take the team that I have um, in my territory right now. Um, I have an incredible rep um, that, that are incredible territory manager, actually two incredible territory managers, but one's a master's she's incredible at everything she does. And, you know, another territory manager that is an incredible rep as well. And I came in with the mindset of, you know, I want to learn from you. I, you know, like I'm, I, our, our titles don't mean anything to me. You're, you're both amazing. And I want to find out what you do so well. And I want to enhance our collective culture. And I think one of the things that you can do um, early on in any, any position where you're trying to enhance a culture, enhance a team, or even enhance a certain individual is just collaborate. Being, being present, being, having that ability to say, you know what, you have great ideas. I want to hear those ideas and then creating that, that open dialect. I think one of the things I realized really early on was you can have a killer mentality, but still listen. And that's something that I think falls off on a lot of people is I want to be the best. And I want, like, I, you know, you have this mentality, like, okay, everything that I've done has worked for me so far. So theoretically, everything that I'm going to do is going to work. But in the reality, I see a lot of people ignore amazing su suggestions, ignore amazing people. And that's one thing I really try to stress on anybody, whether they're a newer rep that I'm mentoring or you know, uh, even even other people outside of the industry is never chase money. Always chase people, because people will lead you on. Good people will lead you to the right place. Good people will educate you, will 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 groom you, will teach you to be your very best, and want nothing but the best for you. And the money will follow you. You know, money follows people that are good at what they do, but good people come around, you know, once every so often. And if you only prioritize the reward, you'll never understand the journey because the journey might not be just the reward. It might be everything you pick up along the way. 
Incredible. Wow. Okay. So it begs the question as, as we wind up this conversation, I could keep going here for hours, understand this, yeah. <laughs> that, that I can keep going, but I know your time is valuable as well. So um, I guess my curiosity is where is it that you feel you need to be growing right now? And what are you doing to achieve that? Well, um, I would say, uh, you know, I'm always trying to grow my capabilities as a leader. And I've found that, you know, a a good leader isn't just the most motivated person in the room. And one of the things that I have to keep in mind is the different styles of people that I'm around. And one one of the almost cliches that I use is you don't listen to respond, you listen to understand. And one of the things that I really try to do is when I... It, and it's a very simple thing, but it's, it, I, I see so many people overlook it, is when you ask a question, stop and listen. Just stop and hear what they're saying. Don't respond in the conversation. Don't think about your response while they're talking, because that's what most people do. And, and, that, and this is what good leaders avoid, is when someone has a, a, an objection, a suggestion, anything, a good leader will stop and hear everything that they're saying, and then we'll take time to process it. And that's something I'm really working on is really hearing people because that's something that it's an undervalued skill. It's, it, and it is very much a skill. Listening is, is a skill that is very overlooked and it's very, very seldom you see it utilized properly. And one of the things I'm really doing, you know, whenever we do team meetings, whenever we do, you know, organized meetings, I try to be, I, I, I try to embody that habit. Um, the other thing I'm really working on is, you know, leading within leaders. And it's, it's one thing to be put in leadership groups. It's one thing to be kind of like selected by your team to be the leader of this. But if an entire, you know, region, national, whatever selects a group of leaders, can you be a leader within that group? And that's what I'm really working on is, is despite, you know, like, you know, most of the time I'm, I'm the least tenured person in those groups. Um, and I, I really try to take the opportunity to, you know, be eager to volunteer. Um, that's, a, that's a really big one. Um, and I always try to take the opportunity to come in with new ideas. Every, every leadership role that I apply for or leadership role that I can envision anyone going for is the first thing you have to have an idea of is what you're going to bring to the table. Because if you're not bringing anything to the table, you're not going to be a leader. Like, you know, everybody has, you know, a flatline skill set but what can you do to elevate those around you? And that's what I really try to focus on. And we have, you know, different programs within, within, you know, Pfizer that really help elevate people, but even within the team, you know, I've, I've, I've launched initiatives that are just personable connections. And I, I find that, you know, anytime you can create opportunities to showcase leadership, it's going to elevate your person, yourself, so much more than if you just kind of sit in the back. Mm, love that, man. You know, I heard early on in the pandemic that the, the, oh, actually it was actually before the pandemic that attention is the currency of, of today. That that's what I heard. And now I've seen that, that, that same story play out over a year and a half of people paying attention to a lot of different things out of confusion, fear, anxiety, et cetera. But I'm hearing another currency pop up. And I think you spoke directly to it, Robert, in saying um, what you bring to the table. Value is the currency 
that that I hear a lot about. So in, in, in my role, and I know your role, if you don't show up with value, that is a dereliction of trust with the people that we serve, right? And therefore, they, they, they may not have a reason to see us if they don't see us being not only people of value, but adding value to them. And I'm, I'm curious, um, how would you motivate someone to be of value to someone else? You know, that is, that is a big question. That's, that's almost, you know, you're almost philosophical in nature with that question. Um, but to give it a tangible answer, bringing value can truly be anything. And bringing value can be as simple as your mentality is I know that that's, that's what a lot of, you know, if you're in a leadership position, if you're hiring people, you're going to have a different a, a team with different tenures, different mentalities, different ways to do things. And that alone can bring incredible amounts of value. But really, if, if I'm talking to somebody who's trying to find themselves, who's trying to figure out themselves, if you can understand yourself, mm. you will bring value to an environment. So it's and a self-awareness that, that issue. Exactly. Well, it, I mean, self-awareness to the point of knowing who you are is knowing, knowing like people have different ways of going about the same task. But if I try to, to complete a task the same way person X, Y, or Z tries to complete a task, I, I won't be, I won't be as good as them because that's not me. Like I, I, I it's almost, it's almost like saying like, you know, you're never going to be better at being me than I am. Like every single person is the best them that exists on the planet. And when you try to be other people, that's when you lose value. So the best advice I can give in that sense, especially to, you know, whether it's a young person trying to find themselves in in college, in business, or even, you know, someone who's trying to reinvent themselves later in life, Mm -hmm. understand yourself, understand what makes, you know, Robert, Robert or Edwin, Edwin. And don't try, like, I'm not going to go out and try to be Edwin because I can't, I'll never, I'll never be that. And it's vice versa. And I think that that principle alone will bring so much value to your life and you'll be able to bring that value to other people. And after that, you can expand, you can expand on skill sets, you can expand on, you know, different knowledges that you have, but being a hundred percent, your authentic self is, is by far the first step. Love, love, love that. So uh, to me, that that is that is personal branding, right? I mean, you've you've got to know um, kind of your marketing spiel. So if you had to pick three words, Robert, that, um, like Nike did, just do it. What would be uh, Robert's three words that you think sum up your personal brand and how you show up in your your personal and your professional life? Man, that that is a good question. Um, I would say, I would say uh, awareness, motivation, and I mean, there's a lot here. I, I would probably, the last one I would probably use would be hustle hmm. because that's, I think those three accumulate just kind of what my mentality really is. And, you know, my mentality is whenever whenever I set my mind to something, whenever I convince, you know, myself, okay, this is, this is the path that I'm going to go on now. Now it's the vision kicks in. 
the vision kicks in of that's mine. I'm going to take it back. And, you know, those, those three words really, really resonate with that kind of philosophy. Now that's not everybody's philosophy. Um, you know, some people, you know, have a more passive, um, you know, empathetic approach to, to what they do. And it's not that it can't work just as well, but it's just knowing yourself and the ability to say like, you know, this, this is what drives me. Like what drives me is the motivation behind the things that I do. And whether, you know, like I said, family is my motivation for everything. And I know that sounds like everybody's answer, but I I mean, it couldn't, it couldn't be more true. Um, You know, you've, you've interacted with me a lot. So you, you probably know that better than most people, but, um, and then taking that hustle factor is, is something that I take into work every day. And that's, that's into every facet of it. That's, you know, being at the forefront of volunteering for things that's, you know, I going after like business that other people say, like, that's not, you know, that that's not where you should put your time or that's, and I identify the potential and I'm going to say, no, I'm going to go after it. Like, this is something that I think is attainable. I'm going to make it happen. Um, and, and I just think that if you, if you kind of understand yourself in that way and really, really just accept who you are, because believe me, that, that takes a lot of tenacity to be able to do, um, when you're trying to find yourself is to say, I understand this and I accept it. The the rest of life after that is easy. Yeah. That man, that really resonates with me because I think when, when people don't have that, that level of tenacity that is founded in a belief and a trust and a love for who they already are, you can't have the grit um, um, to, to get you over those hurdles of failure, uh, the resistance that you run into in the, in the gym or at work or in your personal life, you got to have grit and tenacity. And those are founded in, in self-awareness, uh, grace and love for yourself. So Robert, thank you for saying that. I think that was, that was a perfect way to end this. And, and for the listeners, um, if you can't find your three words or your phrase, that is your go-to that you lean on when the going gets tough and you kind of forget why am I here and what am I doing? Um, just such an easy practice to, to help gut check you and see if if you're self-aware enough. Robert, this was a great conversation, man. I wish you had eight hours today because I think we could solve <laughs> a lot of world problems. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll, you'll have to talk to my boss on that one. Give me an extra vacation day. And I'll 100% give you it. (laughs) Send me the number. Uh, They can only value from conversations (laughs) like this. Uh, We will will send it to everyone at the company for them to to relish in the wisdom that that we just put into the world today. So, Robert, man, thanks for your time. You you are clearly a true leader and a hero. And I appreciate um, how you show up in the world because people watch. Uh, people see, people are always looking for mentors. And I think you shine a light of exactly that. So thank you. I appreciate that a lot. And obviously, likewise, I've had a great deal of respect for you throughout the years. So I appreciate you giving giving the both of us a platform to kind of elaborate on things that especially in this, you know, kind of, you know, pandemic and post pandemic world, people are going to have to, people are going to have to address. And I think that, you know, really having a, having an ability to hear someone else say some of the things that might be might be harder to address for, from yourself it'll really help some people <laughs>